to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 218. I will be your host. My name's Greg. And joining me around our platted table is Paul. Good day. Crystal. Good morning. Andy. Nope, Silence. he's not here. He's usually here. Jeff? Nope. Ezra? Nope. Kyle? Yes. Good to see you. You said plaided. Yeah. Because it's the plaid blanket. Is this not a plaid blanket? Yeah. But I've never heard plaided. That's a good use of the ED. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. A new man. adjective. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this People might want a little inside look into the podcast world, but we, we always, since episode one, have used this plaid blanket. And just this week, we will be selling it. That's not true. <laughs> I was trying to create a whole storyline behind the plaid blanket. Kyle's taking a photo of. I want everyone to see the plaid everyone. blanket. See, look, so this is oh, lean in. Yeah, lean in. This is this is great radio right here. Are you gonna take a photo or what? I don't know. He's not in it. This is not going well. Oh, there we go. So Kyle's gonna post that on. Um, I don't know what. Do you have Instagram? No. Are you going to Snapchat that? Twitter? <laughs> well, so some, someone can see yeah, it for my, seconds? I'll Snapchat it, Snapchat Snapchat. it to my wife because our anniversary was yesterday. What? Yeah. How many years? That's a lame 19. gift, Kyle. 19. Well, after 19 years. I'm saving up for 20. Yeah. Is plaid the uh, the thing for 19 years? <laughs> yeah, plaid. Is it gold or silver? <laughs> it's plaid. You made it to 19, you get plaid. <laughs> totally. So, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Greg. Uh, any other big personal news anyone <laughs> want to share? Or, uh... <laughs> hey, it's August, so we're right in the thick of summer. Vacation stuff going on for you guys? Have you already had it? Is it coming up? What's that looking like for you, Paul? You just started in July, I just started. So... I don't think I've accrued any vacation time okay. as, as of yet. Only since I've only been here three weeks. Right. But you've got but. to speak at Squamish twice. so Yeah. Kind of yeah. Going up to Squamish is always a treat. Definitely. Love it up there. Did you stay up there or just go up there for the Sunday? Yeah. We have a good friend up there who has a big house with lots of space and they welcome us nice. there whenever we come up. So it's great. You bet. Would they welcome any of our listeners also? <laughs> <laughs> For a fee? You know, she probably would, but yeah. I'm not going to volunteer her information. Okay, that's fine. Um, Crystal? Yeah, we spent some time at the lake, Soyuz Lake. So it was fun. Really nice. hot, though. Yeah. Yeah, we basically wanted to be in the water or on the beach. Brought all our barbecuing utensils down there yeah. so we didn't have to go back to the campsite. <laughs> that's good fun. Yeah. So boat access, no boat yes. access. Boat access. Yeah. So we were teaching all the little kids to water ski all day long. Oh, that's painful. It was fun. It was, fun. was it? Yeah. I mean, painful Every... for the kids. No. Were they able to painful. pull themselves out good? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah it was good. Every year, there's little milestones that people hit. Yeah. Yeah. My niece dropped a ski this year. And my other Whoa. one went out of the wake. Did, did she find it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, they float, yeah. Greg. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not a great water sporter. No, I did not grow up water skiing. And I tried to, I don't know, 10 years ago, and I didn't have the upper body strength to pull my big frame out of the water. Mm. I kept losing the rope. So it was a little embarrassing. <laughs> but I learned how to wake surf this year. 
So that was cool. That what was is, a new thing. What is this? That's behind a boat with a surf, kind of a surfboard instead of skis. So, hmm. but you're not strapped you can, in. No, you're not strapped in. You're just standing on top of the board. This. So that was cool. That I couldn't get crazy. when you get really good, you can let go of the rope and just kind of ride the wave behind the boat. I didn't get that good, but I got up, and oh. that was fun. New That's accomplishment impressive. on my birthday. On your birthday, on my even birthday, happy birthday. birthday! Thank you. That's great, Kyle. Do you know how to water surf? S I've snow never surf? water surf. What is it? Wake surf? Wake surf. Wake surf. Wake surf. Never, never wake surf, no. Have you so, snowboarded? Uh, yes, and I've every time I go, I um, progressively get worse at it. Oh, that's <laughs> so, the first time I was okay. The next time I went, it was, oh, I would just blame it on poor, you know, snow conditions. And then, yeah. So, Re Rebecca's back probably to quite good at snow sports. Um, she did a little bit growing up. Yeah, she grew up in Colorado. Yeah, that's and mm. we're gonna head there for vacation in a couple weeks because a lot of her family live in that, still in that area. So, and you'll be skiing in Colorado? No, not this time. Okay. Well, that's great. That sounds like good summers for everybody. Dad, yeah. What did you do? That's good. What about you, Greg? Nothing yet. Uh, we will be going camping in a few weeks. So. Where are you gonna go? We will be purchasing uh, earphones, ear earplugs. For everyone around us, oh, in case just in case our, our son decides to mm. be awake all the time, and I'm—I don't know if I snore. No, I don't think badly. So yeah, we'll be up in the Okanagan region for a week, so that'll be fun. Little kids in a tent. You'll be up at like four in the morning. You'll be walking around the campsite trying to keep them quiet. Yeah, we'll be bringing a stroller. Yeah, you did be, that lots of times. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure that was interesting for everyone. I had fun listening to everyone's vacation plans and looking forward to mine. We have a few questions from people. This first one is sent in from Germany. I know that it's sent in from Germany because at the bottom of the email, it says von meinem iPhone geschendet. <laughs> Does that mean sent for my iPhone? Sounds like it. <laughs> uh, this person, their question is that traditionally growing up in a Christian home, many times someone is told that certain things are sin. But what if you know someone, or what if one knows that something that they do is a sin because they were told, but they don't actually regret what they were doing because they've never been convinced that it was a sin in the first place. So how do you call someone out on a sin that they do not regret because in their mind it's not a sin? And then how would that person actually repent from a sin that they don't regret doing? So the, the, I think the line, the trajectory of the question is how do you, if someone's been told something's a sin growing up, they don't actually believe that it is. How do you call that person to repentance from that? Maybe we could talk about regret and repentance, the distinction between those two words first. Um, regret is to be sorry for something. Oftentimes, that's the way it's usually used. Uh, repentance has an idea of, of turning, of, of changing directions, a change of mind, which, you know, our mind drives our hearts, which drive our actions. So repentance is a, a change of um, a 180 change. So it's a change of, of attitude and action. Um, whereas regret is, you know, I'm sorry that something happened. Hmm. But it doesn't necessarily hmm. mean you're going to do anything about it. Right. So yeah. I could be sorry that something happened, but maybe not change anything and yeah. not do it again. Because it's easier to keep doing Yeah. <laughs> whatever you've been doing or more fun or whatever it is. Yeah. I think 
Greg, in your sermon this week, you talked about the fact that we all have sin running through our veins and we don't often realize the depths of our own depravity. And so I think for many of us, for all of us, I know myself, um, it's easy to justify or speak, um, what's the word? Yeah, it's easy to justify something and think in your mind that's not a bad thing and slowly convince yourself that something's not a sin or that God would approve of something. And I think the only way to get away from that is to be in God's word yourself and understand his His gradations of sin, His um, the things that he calls out as sin, and have your hearts changed and transformed by him so that you actually see things. You call sin the same thing that God calls sin. So when the psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, I think that's Psalm 51, David speaking, his mind, in his own mind, he had totally justified his actions with Bathsheba and everything, and everything was all covered up and fine, and he was ready to move on. And he was asking God to renew his mind, renew his spirit, so that he actually saw things the way that God saw them. So I think we need to be aware that all of us will try and justify and not see things the way that God does because of sin's effect on us. So it seems like there's two different ways that this question could go. It could go in the direction of it's a known sin. Yeah. Um, it's a clear area of sin that the person just doesn't think is actually sin. Or it could be uh, a gray area where, I don't know, is that actually a sin to be engaged in that activity or not? Is this a Christian freedom issue? Is this a sin issue? So how would we... First of all, how do we know the difference between the gray area and the clear black and white sin? And second of all, how do we process that with people if they're engaged in a gray area or a black and white sin? So first let's talk about what, how do we know if it's a gray area or if it's actually a sin that this person is, is engaging in? Yeah, scripture um, gives us clear commands and and instructions to follow. So sins can be ones of omission, the things we don't do or things we fail to do. Um, to love our neighbor is, you know, a, a great command and we can often fail to do that. Um, so that's one sin um, or things that scripture says not to do when we do those things, that's sin as well. So real clear cut things that we fail to do that scripture calls us to or things that we we do commit or do, uh, do that scripture says not to do. Those are sins that the Bible you know, says are, are wrong because they, they violate God's character, God's law. Um, it's not the way God intended us to live. So if it's a question, if this is the question in the questioner's um, email, then um, yeah, as Crystal said, we, we talk to people about what God wants from his word. We show them the beauty of Christ. We show them the better way of living that he provides for us. And we, we you know, in the midst of that, pray that the Spirit opens up their their mm -hmm. their their mind, their eyes to see that yeah, that's actually a sin. This is yeah. um, violation against the sovereign King of the universe, mm -hmm. as well as other people that are around me, probably. Um, and so we pray for that sin to be seen, and then um, re regret to be there, and then repentance and, and a change of heart, change of mind, change of action. I know Thalia said as she reads scripture with people when they come in for counseling, she'll read passages in Ephesians that are really clear as to what sin is. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be either two, one of two responses, either like, oh, that's really clear and I need to repent or, oh, that's really clear, but I don't like it, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's the way that we can go as humans. We can, we can see things clearly and say, I want to fall in line with God's way or I don't like it. I don't want to change my behavior. Mm -hmm. And that shows the attitude of your heart. Yeah. I think in terms of the gray areas that we can 
find ourselves engaged in or we see friends engaged in, uh, sometimes that can come down to an idolatry issue. Uh, even if, if it's something so, for instance, the, the scriptures don't talk about um, things like smoking or... Um, like barbecue smoking? Like <laughs> yes. Put meat in something for 10 talk, hours? And it doesn't talk about just... a good brisket. No, ah. no but no, I'm, in terms of smoking or substances or that kind of thing. Like, And so somebody might try to say, oh, there's no scripture that that says that I can't smoke or I can't smoke marijuana or whatever, something like that. But, um, it's, it's, what are we, what are we going to these things for? Are we going to these things for our pleasure? Are we going to these things for our comfort to get away from the realities of life? If, if that's the case, then we aren't going to Christ. We're going to these things instead. And that's idolatrous. And that's something that then the, the area which appears gray actually becomes not gray because it's dealing with our heart issue and sin is always, uh, or, or what we do in our actions is always an outpouring of what's in our heart. Mm. So. So you'd say go beyond kind of the symptom of it to say, yes. what's the, what's the root of why you're going in this direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get, discussion. get to the heart yeah. issue because um, a lot of the things that we, that we see and we have, we judge externals, um, as Christians, when we look at our brothers and sisters and, and we go, Oh, I can't believe that person is still, uh, smoking two packs a, a day or something like that. And, and they're unfiltered, man, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yet, and we, and instead of, and so, so then we go to them and we say, you know, you should, you should stop smoking because it's not good for you. But instead, maybe the conversation should be getting to the heart level and and finding out why they go to smoking. Mm -hmm. And it might be part of their process. They might have been cleaning up other things in their life, and this might be one thing they still have to work through, if yeah. that's something. But mm -hmm. not everybody's at that final completion stage either yet, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So how are they working towards that sanctification process? Mm. Yeah. But I think we are called still, even if people don't agree that something's a sin, we're still called to bring them to bring this to attend to their attention and like the Matthew 18 passage I know we talked about different times in church discipline you know confronting somebody by yourself and if they don't agree with you going with a brother or sister in Christ and then going with the church body in the book of James it talks about if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins that's James 5 uh, 19 and 20 so I think we're called to do that as a body, as a body of believers. And the problem is oftentimes that's going to affect our relationships and our friendships. And so we're scared to do it because we don't want someone to blow up at us and say, don't mm -hmm. judge me <laughs> like an Andy sermon a couple of weeks back. Um, but we're called to do that for the good of the church and for the good of individuals. So, yeah. so do we treat it the same if it's a gray area or a black or white area? Do we approach it in the same Matthew 18 manner every time or how do we or is it different do we treat it differently if it's a known gray area I mean we know I, I hear Paul what you're saying about mm -hmm. yeah. trying to go that that next level down of why why this action but I mean there, there is the potential that what we actually think is sin in someone else's life just actually isn't a sin and it's a Christian freedom thing mm-hmm yeah, so the, the the smoking 
uh, as an example, um, I think that's a freedom issue in the sense of it's, it's somebody can engage in that. Yeah. But, but with everything that we do or or fail to do, there are consequences to our relationships, to our bodies and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I understand Paul right, that question, somebody's smoking two packs a day, we could ask ask them about the, the health that that has or or things of reason why they're doing it. But the, the cigarette itself isn't a sin, right. but the use of it might be potentially or right. it might not be. Right. So the, the question of, of gray area and the New Testament came up often with the use of food and whether food was sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that day, often meat would be, uh, animals would be killed as, a, as, a, as an offering to the, 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 the pagan deities. And so as people became followers of Christ, they would recognize, hey, I want to separate myself from that practice. Um, and so some people were like, well, I can't eat that meat anymore. And Paul comes along and says, well, the meat isn't the issue. The ceremony that it was sacrificed in is part of the issue. The meat itself is a gift of God. So if you have a clean conscience, go ahead and enjoy it. Um, But don't let your enjoyment of that meat, of that gift from God, um, uh, be a hindrance to someone else's faith. So if you have someone coming over for dinner and you're going to serve, you know, meat, and and it would be a hindrance to them in their faith or a stumbling block in their faith or a discouragement in their faith mm-hmm. to know this meat was sacrificed at the temple um, the day before. Um, Paul says it's, it's, it's clean. You can if your conscience allows you. Um, but the gray area is if somebody's conscience um, doesn't allow them at that point or they're still really hesitant to, to be associated with that um, in any way. Paul says, don't eat meat. Go vegetarian for a meal or get something fresh from your own backyard and slaughter it together. And that will add to the the festive fun, I guess. <laughs> and smoke it on your Weber kettle grill into a nice brisket. Yep. So by the morning time when it's actually done, because yes. <laughs> it takes so long to smoke something, um, you can have a nice feast. <laughs> All right, if the listener who sent in that question wanted the conversation to go in a different direction, they can send in another email and say, actually, can you talk about this part of my question? If not, we will assume we put a check in that box and we'll move on to the next question. This listener uh, had been reading a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Have any of you read that book before? I've heard it referred to lots of times, but Mm -hmm. I haven't actually read it yet. Yeah. Um, So... There was a section of the book that talked about how if heaven is unimaginable, as some people might want to say, then why would we even try to imagine it? And if we can't anticipate or desire uh, what we can't imagine, then what what harm are we doing to ourselves if we don't actually imagine what heaven could be like? Um, So the, the thrust of the quote is saying, the desire to just not think about heaven ever makes it a really bad hope for us because we don't actually imagine what our hope could be like. So it doesn't, it's not a motivating factor for us because we're not excited about where we're going. Right. And so I think in this section of the book, uh, Randy Alcorn is is making the case for, we we should responsibly imagine what heaven might be like, because that's going to add to our hope in what is yet to come when all things are made new. So the listener had the question to ask, how is it then that we can imagine properly and biblically about what heaven might be like? How do we 
not just totally go off the rails, but how do we actually do this in a faithful way? What does unimag unimaginable mean? I think I, what he's saying, yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't experienced it. Yeah. We don't know. So it doesn't mean that there's, there's nothing we know about it or there's nothing to be known about it. Um, I think it underscores the, the idea that heaven is unimaginable because, not because we have no idea of anything of what it will be like, but we have no um, experiential uh, resources to understand the depth and the beauty that will be there. Mm -hmm. So it would just be phenomenal. But we still can know quite a bit about what it will be like. There'll be a, a new heavens and a new earth. We'll have resurrected bodies. Um, we'll be able to you know, move around. We'll have flesh and bone that will be free from sin and death. And so we have no idea what that's like. We are um, forever living our lives as, I guess, fish in an ocean of sin after the fall. Sure, yeah. Um, and until heaven comes, we're, we have, um, we're, we're stuck with that perception. But we get glimpses uh, to what heaven is like. And I think that's what the Brandy Alconer is talking about and what we should think about. Um, and ultimately, um, I'll just give my two cents and then let everyone else join in. Ultimately, what heaven is about is the presence of God. And if that is the ultimate joy of the universe is to, to know and see and, and be in right relationship with God, that's all, all we need. Right. We took um, a bunch of us women this year took a Simeon Trust course on reading different biblical genres. And so we did about six weeks on reading apocalyptic literature, so Revelation, Daniel, all these other pieces and one of the main things that the instructors kept saying over and over again is we read apocalyptic so much now to find dates and times and places and, and when we're doing that we're missing all the imagery that they're trying to give us about the amazing glory of what this throne room is like and they're piling images upon images upon images of what God's like and what heaven's like and what it's like to for God to be sovereign over the whole world and so they just encouraged us to read like Revelation 4 and 5 and just imagine all the images that are there because mm -hmm. the writer is trying to say like I can't contain it I can't say it all but but it's this and it's this and it's this and it's this and it's just images of, upon images of beauty and of glory and of people worshiping and so if we read those apocalyptic texts and sit in the images we're imagining heaven as the bible is giving us license to do it so I'd say that'd be one way yeah yeah and when you read in Revelation you, again, in Revelation, you go to the end of the book into uh, the, la or the last two chapters, yeah, 21, 21 and 22. 22. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of things in there that show that heaven isn't just a disembodied state uh, like, you know, the uh, the cream cheese commercials. What is it? Philadelphia cream cheese yeah. commercials back in the day that had little angels playing harps or whatever. Or, um, no, that's not what it's like. It's we've got real tangible um uh, things we've got the new Jerusalem coming down. We've got um, we've got the river of life flowing from the throne. And I mean, you've got you've got a lot of things that uh, are showing what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. You've got measurements, like you've got. He's he's showing us that this isn't just merely spiritual, but there actually is a physical reality to the new heaven and new earth. And so that's something that you can think of. You can think of things that we see now um, are a broken example of what it's going to be like, or even even things that we feel, relationships we have, good relationships we have. There's brokenness to them, and 
in the new heavens and new earth there will be perfection. Yeah. So perfect love. We don't we don't have any idea what perfect love is really like right now. All we have is, uh, I mean the the t the example we have of perfect love is Christ giving Himself for us, dying on the cross, so that He can redeem us and redeem a people for Himself. Um, but as, as far as we're concerned with our relationships with our loved ones, we really, none of us have a perfect love between each other, but there will be perfect love in the new heavens and new earth, in the presence of God, living with God, face to face. But I think it's a valuable exercise to do that mm -hmm. idea of anticipating, because when you have to give up for anything, if you have that goal in mind, right, when you have to give up something in the now, because you know this goal is amazing. My brother just left for Europe yesterday and I mean they did all kinds of stuff in the coming in the weeks before because they were excited about this place they were going to right mm -hmm. and so if we have that excitement we're willing to give up things we're willing to plan things reorient our thing reorient our life towards that goal so mm -hmm. imagining it knowing it I think is a great motivator that's great um one other thing that we were gonna talk about we were before we started recording we were mm. talking about what was going on in the news and one story caught a lot of us uh, our attention i think andy mentioned it in his sermon mission and he's probably going to talk about it in his sermon coming up in abbotsford this weekend so hopefully we're not stealing <laughs> too much of his thunder but mm -hmm. um there was an article that was spread <clears throat> fairly wide uh through canadian media about a reverend by the name of greta vosper she's a an ordained minister within the United Church of Canada, and she's created waves among the United Church and other places because she has decided, or she she is an atheist, and she thinks she is still um, well suited for the role of being a, a ordained minister in the United Church of Canada, and there are some differing opinions within the United Church of Canada of can an atheist be a minister <laughs> if they are still trying to encourage Christians to live well in Canadian society. So it's not actually going to be discussed um, soon at the official level. That's going to happen in a little bit here. But in the meantime, the it's just kind of blown up a little bit here. So, And her rationale is that in the ancient church, we all kind of started by just living well, and this whole idea of doctrine came later. So really what we should do is just go back to where the ancient church was. It was all about how you live your life. And so as long as you live a good life, then kind of following in the ways of the church. All right. Which is not a good reading of history. I agree. Yeah, I say, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> from Paul, right from the very beginning, was saying this is the true gospel, right? <laughs> right from the beginning of yeah, the church's inception. Yeah, because... People were being persecuted because they were living too well, right? I mean, not not because they wouldn't call Caesar Lord or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, there the, was, well, you look at there I was mean, important doctrinal yeah. statements right from, from the beginning. beginning. Yeah. If this is the church, okay, like if what is well, if if what if the United Church is actually the church, what does Christ say he's going to build his church on? He's going to build it on the confession that. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you're supposed to be an ordained minister within that church, or an elder of any kind, um, a member in that church, you need to believe the 
gospel. You need to believe what the church is built on. And if, if you can't stand for that, you have no business being there. Well, and it's, it's interesting that it's happening in the United Church because they've been historically known for being really, um, having really wide tent pegs in terms of who can be a part of it, your theological backgrounds, your, your commitments. Mm-hmm. You could be hold what varying opinions. And so they're wondering, oh man, is this too far? Like is atheism, yeah. they, they've kind of built an identity around inclusiveness and, and tolerance. And, tolerance. Yeah. and yeah. now they're kind of wondering, well, is this the one that's too far out of the bounds? And she's actually come out and said, you know, if, if we're at, if I'm asked to leave, it, it's not because I don't want to be a part of the United Church. It's because they don't want me to be a part of it. So she's putting them in the position totally. to, to be to, that, to be intolerant, to be that for intolerant her. force. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it'll be, I mean, I would be shocked if they don't kick her out because I think they would say, no, that's our line. Like, well, in the article, theism is our line. In the article, it says we believe there is a God and yeah. that's kind of the basic. Well, and Father, and, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? So they're going to want to affirm the Trinity there. So I saw an interview uh, with her and she was talking about how she doesn't um, believe in God called God because if as soon as you say that there is some being, supernatural being, that intervenes, this being also has authority over us. Uh, this being is one to whom we give an, need to give an account. Yeah. Right. And that becomes a trump card, she says, that this, well, if God told me to do this, this is what God says, then that's the end of the story because God's the trump card, ultimate trump card. So she wants to um, deflect the abuse that that potentially could have and has had in history and does have in um, in other religions, I would say, that aren't true. Um, but that doesn't, the, the irony of it is that she's replaced the trump card of God said so yeah. with the trump card of there is no God that can even say so. Right. So, so she's essentially personal autonomy. Yep. Right. Which is the, the calling card of the day for everybody in our culture is that uh, our, my personal autonomy is more important than yours or more and important than anybody else. else. And, and more important. Yeah. Then even if there is a spiritual being uh, my, it doesn't matter what he says. I am my own master. Hmm. And uh, that's exactly what she's saying, essentially. It's interesting to read too in the article that, like, I think the church was 150 initially, and now it's down to 50 as she's come out with these beliefs. But those 50 people are still sticking with her. Like, they are on her side. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, mm-hmm. what the United Church does with it all. Yeah, the church went from 150 to 50, I think, because she she didn't want to include the Lord's Prayer anymore in the services. Mm. And that was kind of a... That was one of the lines that people mm. said came out. Right. Mm. Yeah, just the, the, as Paul mentioned, the thread of personal autonomy that I can, I'm the captain of my own ship, how that is such yeah. a, such a, a vital part. That's the, um, that's the, that's the, the one thing you can never challenge um, that even shows up. There's a um, NFL player, um, Arian Foster, who has recently come out as a as an atheist, as a secular humanist. And so he's being um, touted by different groups as, hey, look at this guy. He's, you know, he's an atheist and he's playing in, in the NFL. And so he's kind of the poster child for this. And he said, even if this hurts his career in the sense of endorsements, he's like, what's uh, what's giving up a few dollars to Pepsi as an endorser? 
um, compared to the freedom that I'm, I'm, I, I'm mm. acting who I am to, true to myself. Mm. So he'd rather be true to who he thinks he is That's as someone who's independent, as someone who um, doesn't believe in God and raised a Muslim, um, but now doesn't believe in any kind of, of divine being. Uh, but the one thing that he values most is his own sense of liberty and own sense of self-definition. Mm. So the, um, the, the, the minister, an NFL player, you know, anyone here in Abbotsford Mission area, this is, an, this is the underlying thing, I think, that unites a lot of the, the questions and debates that we have in our culture is how mm -hmm. central am I as a person? If I'm the only part of the equation, right. then I can determine everything. But if there is a God who made me, who actually right. loves me, who knows me, yeah. who I can say, you know, our Father who art in heaven, yeah. you know, if there is a God like that, then, um, then there's someone I need to know that I need to to learn to to more about, learn yeah. to love. You know, this this underlies the whole assisted suicide conversation. This underlies the whole abortion conversation, right? That's that's what's happening here, and that's that's a good thing for us to realize is that people's uh, people's thought of themselves as being their own God, essentially, is what is creating all of this. So what do you guys think is going to happen with this case with the Reverend Greta Vosper? She put some money on it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, is, yeah. That, is that a she Christian will, liberty? I, yeah, I, know, that's okay. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised that if the, if the United Church actually says it's fine, if, if they... Although I would think they would say, but you still have to read the Lord's Prayer. You can be an atheist, but you still have to read the Lord's Prayer, prayer at least. That's kind of what I think it's going to come down to. They're going to put it back in her court. And so oh, then so. if she says, well, no, I refuse, then she's essentially quitting. That's hmm. probably what's going to happen. But I think she's going to. But the United Church wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I think <laughs> she's going to be given that kind of, we need to keep the Lord's Prayer in our denomination and she's going to read it. And the spirit is going to quicken her soul. And give her she's, new eyes, she's and she's going to repent and believe the gospel, and Maybe. lead the charge of, you know what? There's a greater value than just me in this universe, and that's God Himself. Hal's so hopeful. Hal <laughs> is the optimist yeah. around the table. <laughs> <laughs> we should pray to that end, though. Yeah, yeah for sure. We should. Well, thanks again for uh, you guys coming in and giving up some of your valuable time and sharing your thoughts on these issues if you are listening to this podcast and you're wondering but how do i get a question in you send it to extra at northview.org and we will make our way through some of the questions that are sent and paul do you want to have the last word sure i'm going to read from revelation 22 verses 6 and 7 and he said to me these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book.